Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Got a special show because it's a preview show. We actually have a game preview. Yes, USC Arizona State is coming up this weekend, and we're going to talk to Chris Cartman, who's the publisher of Sun Devil Source, part of the 24 7 Sports Network. So that'll be coming up just in a second. And then after that, we got another special uh guest for you here on the Peristyle Podcast. Joanne Asman's have been covering, uh, coverings, not covering, she's been training travelers uh, since 2003. She's been in charge of that program. So we're going to talk to her about actually not being in the Coliseum for the first time, and I think since 1961 when they started doing this tradition. Uh, so it's been a long time since Traveler has not roamed the sidelines of the Coliseum, but we have a, an interesting conversation with her talking about that. But first up, Let's talk to Chris Cartman. We'll talk to him first, and then after that, we'll get to uh, Joanne. So here's our preview show. First up is Chris Cartman. All right, I want to welcome in our guest. Chris Cartman does an amazing job covering the Arizona State Sun Devils for sundevilsource.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Cartman, K-A-R-P-M-A. And Chris, you're always tied in. We always appreciate talking to you. How are you doing today? Ryan, we're back talking about a big Pac-12 football game, right? Like, this is this is cool. This feels like it's been years. Um, you know, obviously it hasn't, but uh, I'm, I'm just happy to be doing the stuff that we normally do. It is nice to be able to, to do this, but I feel like you know, you're, you're, you woke up from like a nap and you're it's in the middle of your exam. You're like, wait, wait, what, what happened to the beginning part of the exam? <laughs> like we're, we're like in the middle of the season and it's starting on Saturday and it's a, we were talking about offline, like a huge Pac-12 South matchup to start the season. Like, it just seems like we're going to know, you know, it's one sixth of the scheduled season and we're going to know like 80% of it after this game is over. And you know what, Ryan, fortunately, neither you nor I really need to be at a hundred percent alertness uh, <laughs> for this, you know, like we'll do our job and, you know, maybe people will notice if we're not exactly on our a game, but definitely the players are going to have way more of a spotlight on them to come out of the gate playing at a high level. And that's a, that's a big task, right. For, for these teams, given kind of what the offseason's been like and how long it's been without them playing. USC has a new defense. ASU's got new schemes on both sides. So there's like tons of subplots and all kinds of stuff happening. And yeah, I'm just interested to see how it's going to go. I am too. And, uh, you know, there's, if you want to look at the, you know, two of the top, if not the top returning quarterbacks in the conference, I do love myself some, some uh, Chase Garbers up there at Cal. But, you know, Jaden Daniels and uh, Keaton Slovis, the true freshman, and, and Keaton being from uh, the state of Arizona, that's interesting. And, uh, of course, the first ever, you know, Fox Big Noon kickoff game at 9 a.m. local time, which you can do a little bit easier during the pandemic because you can't have any fans in the stands. There's just so many intriguing aspects to this. And the one of the ones, the first one I want to talk to you about is, 
the local health restrictions in California were much more stringent than what there was in Arizona. And I think when we talked, man, a month or so ago, the the fact that Arizona State was able to take advantage of that 20-hour rule months before uh, a program like USC could and sort of uh, maybe you know offset the fact that there's a new defensive coordinator, new offensive coordinator, having all that extra practice time over the summer. Um, I mean, I, I've brought this up before. Some USC people told me like, eh, I just don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. But I wanted to get your thoughts on it because to me, this is the most interesting, one of the most interesting aspects of the game. If USC was playing Arizona State in game five, it would be a more even thing. But in this, in my mind, in this one, that's going to give ASU a real like advantage as far as like, oh, you know, um, you know, things on the back of the net, like things that you might just little notes that you would have, uh, you know, X factor kind of things to me, Arizona state being able to practice all summer is a pretty big X factor. Yeah. It's, it, there's a physical component to it, of course, because you're out there in groups and on the field and, you know, all that. But then I think the mental part is much more. And just in general, I think the mental part of the game is the most sort of underappreciated and, and under acknowledged in terms of like, you know, how much of a difference that it is when everybody's like operating on the same page and making quick decisions that are the right decisions. And when you don't have, you know, the difference in a game sometimes is literally one or two coverage busts. Uh, things of that nature where one team was prepared and the other team wasn't as prepared. And so ASU dramatically more than any other season was spending dozens of hours on the field with coaches getting instruction about their own schemes. And then later on in that process, uh, going over things that USC is is tends to do especially usc's offense so um you know i i did the math on it they have the ability to do like over a hundred more hours than would typically be the case in an off season of this type of skill instruction and uh coaching so to me that that is an advantage for asu because they did a lot more of it they didn't have the cohorting restrictions they didn't have any of these on field you know how many people you could have out there uh limitations um you know we've seen there lots of injuries across college football in the nfl early on in the season i think that's partly because guys weren't as physically ready as they normally would be in terms of like the the process of getting all of your ligaments and and everything kind of you know ready for the what football really is the violence of it and just how um you know just the energy that that players uh put on their body but uh, but no, the mental part I think is a uh, is big, and I think just in a general sense, ASU would be less prepared with new schemes in most years than they will be in this particular game this season. And I don't not saying that that's going to be the difference in the game itself. I'm not sure, but I, I do think that it matters. And then you have the whole um, USC not having as much you know, ability to project what ASU is going to be on offense and defense because you have to go back to watch the Boise State film and Zach Hill for the offense. You have to go back and watch maybe what Marvin Lewis did in Cincinnati in the NFL on defense. I think that also, that sort of element of it is a little bit of an advantage, even though, of course, ASU has the same challenges in preparing for USC's defense. 
And I think um, the spring practice aspect, too, I want to see the data after this is all over. I believe Coastal Carolina was one of only two teams, I think, that had all of their spring practices. You never even heard of them. And now they're like number 15 in the country. They had all their spring practices. Like, oh, maybe that helped. I think you got about half of them in, right? Like seven of them before they took a break and then everything had to stop. Yeah. So there's, you know, that, that helps, too, getting some spring practices in. Yeah, they did all their installs, and then they were already circling back to go over it again. Uh, and then they, the whole, you know, quarantining and whatever, they weren't kind of together as a program in April and May. But then by June, they had basically reincorporated all of their players by the end of June. And they went July, August, September, basically working out to this 20-hour-a-week rule on the field in big groups with instruction. So to me, that's almost like every one of those is like another spring practice. They got like, what, however many that is, you know, like 70 or 80 spring practices. Like that's, wow. that's, that's what I'm saying. Like that's a huge amount of time that they had. And you know, it was like smaller doses, like an hour at a time or whatever, hour and a half at the most, but that's a lot. Like they usually, you know how it is. There's no ability for coaches to actually work with their players from the conclusion of spring football in March or April all the way until you start in, in August. All that stuff is player-led practices and strength and conditioning and stuff, but there's no coaching. And so when you are literally spending three months with coaches in the offseason, you should be a lot further along when you're incorporating new schemes. Yeah. Uh, well, let's look at the offensive side of the ball. A couple of big names that you know, we've seen in the NFL. You know, Benjamin, Brandon Ayuk are, are gone. Kyle Williams is gone. Cole Cabral uh, from the offensive line. But, you know, Jaden Daniels comes back. It's a stud, you know, wide receiver freshman group that's coming in. But maybe, um, you know, Frank Darby's back. Maybe go over some of the, the key offensive players, some of the studs that USC fans should, should look for on Saturday. So it's a big uh, turnaround. They lost, you know, most of their better players on offense with the exception of, um, you know, Jaden Daniels and Frank Darby and Donovan West, who as a freshman last year was maybe their best offensive lineman. I mean, he's an all-conference candidate at, at left guard as a sophomore, which is pretty rare for guys that young. Um but no, I mean, they, you know, even their tight end is gone. So they, Tommy Hudson, so they have, um, as you, as you mentioned there, Darby is a home run threat. He's trying to diversify, become more of a, uh, a short to intermediate type of a weapon. Um, they have a freshman LV Bunkley Shelton who played seven on seven with Jaden Daniels. They have a great chemistry and he's a, an electric route runner and, and just very savvy for a freshman. I think he's going to, He'll be like the, one of their top two or three receivers for sure this year and uh, play from the slot and good understanding of leverage and hands and contested catches and all that. Then they have Johnny Wilson is their other. They have four four-star freshman signees, two of them, Bunkley Shelton and Johnny Wilson are the ones that everybody should know right now. Wilson is, you know, he's maybe six seven and he's 220 pounds, so he's almost like a hybrid type of a guy. Um, I think he's eventually going to be like a Darren Waller with the Raiders type of athlete, but he's a red zone uh, uh, threat and he's a, a seam ripping kind of a menace. You can't really defend him. He's either going to be just like 
way bigger than defensive backs, way faster than linebackers. He might start. Um, and then in the backfield, they have three good running backs, uh, but they just, you know, they've never played at this level before. Uh, Deamonte Trainum from Ohio is, uh, he had offers from Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin, picked ASU. He's 230 pounds. Herm Edwards literally said on the radio the other day that he's going to hurt somebody. Like he's that type of a, of a imposing physical bruising guy. And then Rashad White out of College of the Canyons in, in the LA area. Um, he's uh, like a Marion Grice type of an athlete. Some USC fans might remember Marion Grice. Real smooth, graceful, angular, six foot, 200 pounds, uh, like a slaloming type interior runner. Uh, I think they're going to be, you know, no. Replacing, you know, Benjamin is really difficult, right? But I think they're going to have good running backs, like better than average Pac-12 running backs uh, for how inexperienced that they are. And then um, two uh, grad transfer offensive linemen, Kellen Deesh is from Texas A&M. I think, you know, skilled, not very experienced. We'll see how tough he is. And then uh, from Stanford, Henry Haddis will start at guard. He started there but had some injury problems, but he's pretty good. You put those two guys with um, Donovan West. They have a fifth-year center, Kate Cody, who didn't play last year because he got hurt, but he was going to be the starter at center right up until the, the two weeks before the season when he got hurt. And then um, they have a redshirt freshman who's going to probably start at right tackle, Ben Scott, who actually beat out the true freshman who started last year at tackle, Darius Henderson. On the defensive side of the ball, you got Marvin Lewis and Antonio Pierce as the co-defensive coordinators. It looks like it's a shift of going from more like a 3-3-5 to a traditional 4-3. I'm assuming it's going to look a little more NFL-y, I guess, with uh, with Marvin Lewis uh, yeah. there. Um, maybe thoughts on the new defense and then also some of the uh, the stars that you know that didn't lose as much on that side of the ball. I think uh, Kobe Williams and uh, Curse Thomas, but, um, you know, that USC fans should look for on defense too. Yeah. So definitely more of a traditional four, three that people will recognize from the NFL. Um, not as wonky or sort of difficult to, um, opposing teams, like what they're going to do and how and all that. So you lose an element of sort of surprise and keeping the sort of teams unbalanced by just the, the novelty of the scheme um, they're trying to play faster and be very aggressive and attack minded and have guys, you know, be kind of just mentally free and not making mistakes out there. And, um, it's an interesting strategy because in order to do that, you, you tend to need to have a little bit better talent and maybe even better than your opponent. And I don't know that ASU's defense is going to be more talented than uh, USC's offense, you know, per se. But the, the probably the good thing for ASU is that their secondary is the strength, should be the strength of their defense, even losing Kobe Williams, who you said there was really good corner. But uh, Chase Lucas and Jack Jones are both capable of being, you know, first or second team all-conference players if they play to and then Evan Fields was, you know, one of their better defensive backs last year at safety. Ashari Crosswell um, has a chance to be an all-conference player before he's done at ASU. 
Um, so they have the talent back there. They're linebackers. I thought Curse Thomas was probably the best overall last year. But Merlin Robertson and Darian Butler are two-year starters, and they know like what they're doing, and they should be good, solid players. And Kyle Soley played a lot last year, who's now a starter. Up front, they have um, Jermaine Lole is moving inside from – uh, to three technique. He played end last year. He was a leading tackler among all Pac-12 defensive linemen and led ASU in tackles for loss and sacks. I think he's going to be probably better served as an interior pass rusher and run stopper. And DJ Davidson's a good nose tackle. Their biggest obvious glaring weakness is their defensive end position. Moving Lole inside, moving retro freshman Stefan Wright inside. Um, they have really big question marks. And then Amiri Johnson, who probably would be a starter, is questionable for this game with like a soft tissue injury in, in his lower body. Uh, and um, so that's that sort of exacerbates their challenge. And then uh, Tyler Johnson, who moved from linebacker to defensive end, um, he's kind of an enigma. And you just don't know what you're going to necessarily get from him. But he didn't. Uh, show up with the first team on the depth chart, which is a sign that maybe he didn't have a great preseason because he's probably their most talented guy there. They have Shannon Foreman and Michael Matus as their listed kind of ends, and that is just underwhelming. And so I think from a pass rush standpoint, maybe even from a setting the edge and a, a run-stopping anchoring standpoint, those, those may be some real question marks that they have. Were there any... Um major opt-outs uh, or transfer portal guys. I know uh, Brandon Ruiz, I believe, went to Mississippi State. Uh, you talked about a couple of the offensive linemen transferring in, but any sort of NFL COVID opt-outs or, or other guys that maybe transferred in and out of the program that would be new faces? Yeah, um, really, they, they, uh, they had a one player opt-out who was like maybe going to be a second team guy so nothing really of significance there they had a, a few guys who weren't with the team through their like august september workouts and then came back but none of them are going to be starters and they didn't have any uh sort of late entry transfer portal so i think better than most teams they were able to keep their roster in really good shape uh through a, a challenging off season yeah that's i mean i think that's key sometimes like the off season could be just turmoil or it could be hey you got to practice a lot and not a lot of people left so that's uh another one of those x factor things you'd put in uh, i think in arizona state's uh favor with that um interesting to look at the defense what that's going to look like the traditional four three what's changed on the special team side of, of things if anything so michael turk was one of the better punters in the country last year and then he left two years of eligibility on the table to go to the NFL draft. He goes undrafted and then he puts in a waiver to be granted his, his eligibility restored, which had never happened before, apparently in like major college football history. And they granted it because he wasn't able to work out for teams uh, due to the COVID situation. So that was a very fortuitous thing for ASU getting back one of the best punters I didn't expect that whatsoever. Um, their kicker last year who replaced Brandon Reese, uh, Christian uh, Zendejas, actually ended up very good. Uh, he was one of the most accurate 
uh, kickers in the conference. And I think he had, he led the conference in, in field goals made. I think he missed like one field goal from inside of 40 yards or something like that. His range wasn't very good. So they're worked on trying to get him a, a, a more expanded range. Apparently they're saying they think he has five more yards and is now able to make kicks from 50 with pretty decent regularity. So we'll see about that. Um, you know, I think their big question marks are kind of in the return game when you lose Brandon Ayuk. It looks like Rashad White, the running back I mentioned earlier, is probably going to be their kickoff returner. And um, yeah, I think he's a pretty dynamic athlete, so we'll see how that works. And then Jack Jones might be their punt returner. He's had some decision-making lapses uh, in, in, in at times that we've seen. So I'm interested to see, like, how that actually functions. But... Overall, they probably should have one of the better special teams units in the Pac-12. Uh, looking this week, Arizona State released its depth chart. Um, USC doesn't won't release theirs until Friday. Anything stand out to you? I mean, you talked about some of the position battles and where there's you know you're placing studs at receiver or running back where guys are going to be you know competing there. But any anyone kind of stand out like, oh, I didn't expect that guy to uh, win a spot on the two deep. Yeah, um, the only one really was Michael Matus, the defensive end. I thought almost for sure that they would have Tyler Johnson there with the ones. I think that's more of a reflection on Tyler Johnson than it is about, you know, something really special that Michael Matus did. I think he's a, you know, he's a full service guy, but nothing really particularly dynamic about about anything with him. Uh, I, I thought that maybe Kyle Horn who's a, a, a tight end transfer from UMass who started last year and was a pretty good player. I thought he would be moved up on the depth chart more than he is. He's listed as a third teamer, but my understanding is that he wasn't able to practice for a, a bit recently due to some uh, uh, contact tracing COVID related. So that might've been like one of the factors there. Other than that though, it pretty much mapped out the way we had anticipated it. You mentioned the COVID, uh, you know, contact tracing and COVID stuff. I think USC's done a pretty good job keeping the numbers down. How has uh, Arizona State done over the summer and uh, through this training camp uh, with the COVID numbers? I would say excellent, much better than at most of the places that you're seeing around the country. Now they didn't actually release their all their data, you know, the numbers of of you know people who were you know, impacted and whatnot, like they did at probably about half the schools, half did, half didn't. So, you know, but, but I was sort of able to gather behind the scenes how much impact that there was. And it was, it was quite minimal, several players here and there, um, but mostly contact tracing, only one or two actual cases that I heard of. And that was kind of more early on than later. So they didn't really have that much disruption to, um, you know, their top 30, 40 players on their roster. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's good. I mean, gives you a better chance of this game happening because you, you every time we talk about a game, you have to cross your fingers. And hope yes. Happens. Um, and I was, you know, going through for the podcast of Champions, we, we're going to do our preseason picks this week on the show. And it's so weird only picking six games for every team. You know, you're like, wow. And it just seems like it's a pretty favorable schedule for Arizona State obviously the the USC opener is tough and it's a whatever 10 half point favor or something for the Trojans but I mean like like I said we got those x-factor advantages if Arizona State beats USC I could see them running the table I mean this is a real I mean 
this is such a huge game because the schedule does outside. I mean, it does bother me that Arizona State has to play Cal. Like I like Cal a lot. I think that's the toughest, mm-hmm. you know, good team crossover game that you have, which sort of, it, you know, it, it's a. Dis- I think that's a disadvantage for ASU. But Definitely. There's really an opportunity here if the Sun Devils can get a win uh, in the Coliseum on Saturday. Yeah, it's a big if, Brian, right? I mean, they're, you know, whatever they are, 11-point underdog or something like that. I think that's too much. Uh, there is, the, you know, if ASU beats USC, they'll probably be favored in every game that they play this season because, you know, they get Cal at home, Utah at home, right? And the tougher teams, the worst teams that they play are on the road, Colorado, Arizona, so other than USC, right? So, I and they play UCLA at home also. So I I don't I'm not going to be sitting here thinking that they're going to run the table, but I did struggle between a four and two and five and one prediction for ASU, um, you know, kind of based on USC and then if they may slip up somewhere else. I think four and two is the minimum that can be like a decent season for them. Like if they're yeah. three and three, that's like a disaster. If they're five and one, you would be like, okay, well that's, that's reasonable that they would have done that. Six and zero oh is that's, it's a little bit far fetched, but between four and two and five and one, I, you know, I think both of those are, are highly plausible. No, I agree with you there. It's, it, I mean, obviously the opener, we should know more. Like if, if Jane Daniels or Keaton Slovis couldn't play that, you know, right. that would be a big deal. But, Outside of like, oh, the whole offensive line is sidelined for COVID or something like that. Like, this looks like we're going to get two teams pretty much at full strength, which I think you'll get a normal. Okay, I, I agree with you. I don't I think that the point spreads are probably a little bit too much. The problem is like, oh, the Cal game, uh, you know, all the running backs are out or whatever it is. Like, stuff like that can happen. And then it's, oh, just, yeah. it's up in the air. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, and, and Herm Edwards has talked about that a lot. You know, he has said the unpredictability of this season and keeping guys smart and safe and not doing dumb things when they're away from football is like half the battle this year because, you know, somebody does, somebody makes a dumb mistake, then they're incubating COVID for a couple of days and then they're in meetings with their position group and the whole position group can't play or half of them or whatever. And, you know, now that's going to completely, you know, uh, derail your entire season. So, which there will, this is going to happen probably to some PAC 12 team. It's just a matter of who and when and how good they are and all those things. But there's a element of unpredictability with this season that is much more than any other year. Yeah. We saw in like the big 10 with Wisconsin, that would probably be the equivalent of like a Washington or somebody, um, you know, going down, but then, you know, there's just no room for error in these, schedules and the problem is say like say Arizona State Arizona State wins on Saturday and they're they're killing everyone and they beat Cal and they're making a run but when they go to play Utah like Utah's out and then mm-hmm. now you only got now you're 5 and 0 going into the championships that like that the, the Pac-12 can't afford anyone to get sick cuz if you you know you lose a game and that's you know you maybe you don't get an extra loss but you need those wins you need as many wins as possible to have some sort of resume if there's any chance whatsoever of of having a team in the playoffs 100% on that like if you if you run the table but then one or two of those games are asterisk games then you have no chance yeah so yeah it's like oh um you know if you're playing uh you know UCLA and Dorian Thompson Robinson is out but Arizona State would have probably killed UCLA anyway but you still need you know you'd like those teams to be Yes. At full strength. But yeah, you know, 
I don't know the way you're looking at it. Like I'm looking at Colorado with Carl Durrell and like no spring practices and really just, you know, he was hired in February. Like he was hired a month before the pandemic hit and, you know, they, their starting quarterback was a safety last year. And like Arizona has got like walk-ons on the, de- you know, the depth chart on the defensive side. Like there just seems like the bottom of the Pac-12 South is pretty bottom. Now we don't know for sure, but that's my, my gut is, and I think UCLA is not going to be very good either, but it seems like the bottom to be pretty bottomy. So it's like, USC, Utah, and Arizona State really have an opportunity to get three wins for sure and then see what they do between each other. I completely agree with you. You basically just read my mind. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, I, they could be completely off. Like UCLA runs the table. Like who knows, you know, but I, I don't see that happening. But uh, I'm, I'm just excited to uh, get this going and see such a good game, you know, 9 a.m. And then, you know, get the rest of the day to watch the rest of uh, Pac-12 football after we get our work done. So it, this is going to be a different experience. Yeah, I think fans probably won't love it, but it's for us, I mean, it's definitely preferable in a way, right? Like, I'm cool with it. Yeah, and I, John Wilner had a great point, is that it's a big game, and not only do you get it out of the way early and a lot of people will watch, but every highlight show for the rest of the day, USC Arizona State yep. is going to be shown, right? So yep. you're going to see Jaden Daniels. You're like, oh, I never saw him before. Well, you know, the the 3.30 kick off the, you know, 12, you know, whatever, you know, 1230 game here on the, the West coast, you never see Pac-12 highlights during that game. You will now. So I think there's some, some good opportunities there. Absolutely. Well, that's Chris hey, Cartman does a yeah. great job. I know you got to get, get running, but thank you so much for uh, doing this preview and uh, looking forward to a good game on Saturday. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We got a special guest, uh, Joanne Asman. She has uh, been running the Traveler Machine for years now. We've got to talk to her before. We wanted to talk to Joanne about this really special and unique season and get to learn a little bit more about Traveler. Uh, Joanne, thanks for coming on. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, this is a this is a year like we haven't seen, right? I mean, the, the tradition of Traveler running through the Coliseum. Unfortunately, uh, that's that's coming to an end this year. Well, it's not coming to an end. It's just coming to a postponement. Okay, I like um, I like it that yeah. way. Just this year, travelers yeah. not going to be allowed to to run in the Coliseum. No, nobody is allowed in the Coliseum except the coaches and the players, from what I understand. Um, how was that communicated uh, to you, as far as you know? Hey here's what we're hearing, uh, especially, you know, when the season was canceled, then it came back. Hey, we're going to be playing, but live mascots are, are not going to be allowed in the stadium. Um, the live mascot came from, I believe, Pac-12 and NCAA. It's not just our school. It's all of the colleges with live mascots. Yeah. Were, were you kind of in communication with USC for that? Yeah. Yeah. They've, they've been really good about keeping in contact with me about what's going on. And um, we've actually shot a little video here and there that they're going to try to use since um, he won't be around, you know, so, and um, so we'll see. We can't, I keep on the Facebook and the Instagram and Twitter, you know, we're trying to stay involved that way. Um, and we've, um, done some appearances thanking the, um, 
first responders at some of the hospitals and, and such and some drive-bys for birthday parties. Somebody had a 104th birthday traveler was there along with a drive-by birthday party for her. Um, and so we're doing things like that wherever we can. We were just at Verdugo Hospital last week um, to honor the people coming in for flu vaccines. So we're, you know, we're getting traveler out there where it's safe and where it's possible. That's cool. Is it, um, is it different? I mean, traveler has this routine, right, of coming out in, in the fall. Is there any concern that, you know, without coming to the Coliseum and the Kennedy Games that, you know, some of the training or you know, would Traveler forget some of that or, or maybe be concerned going into 2021 if Traveler was allowed back out there? Oh, his training continues year round. Um, you can't just train horses, you know, for two weeks before a game and think that they're going to work well. It's a, it's a constant, constant training, re-reminding, um, even though, you know, my horses are trained to do just about anything. Um, before the game, I always do a refresher with them. Um, that's why we go to band camp every year. This year we couldn't because it was virtual. Um, but we take the horses to band camp. We do um, fireworks and um, gun training with them so that the fireworks and the cannons on the fields won't bother them and things like that. The uh, the travel tradition goes back to 1961. Um, so that was the home opener against Georgia Tech. Uh, they actually rode in the 61 Rose Parade and uh, kind of started from there. Uh, what do you know about the, the traveler tradition and how that all got started at USC? Um. Yes, it started 1961 in the Rose Parade where Richard Salco was spotted riding a white horse. It happened to be an Arabian cross um, wearing Charlton Heston's costume from Ben-Hur. And so a couple of people who were in the on the side there went to the school and said, this needs to be our mascot. Please talk to them. So they tracked him down through the Rose Parade. Um, people through the Tournament of Roses, and he said, I'll do one game in August and see how it goes. And the rest is history. We're now going to be in the 60th year next. 2021 is a big year because it's the 60th anniversary of Traveler. Wow, 60 years of Traveler. And then uh, it's, it's interesting. Richard, unfortunately, passed away back in 1989. Uh, that was actually my first year going to USC, but... Um, it sounds like 2003 is when his wife decided to retire and then you guys end up taking over. Um, yes. And yeah, she kept it going and then she remarried and she and her husband kept it going until um, 2003. I think 1995, Richard stepson, Chuck O'Donnell took over doing the training and, um, the writing and such. And he and I knew each other through the Andalusian horse show circuit. And um, they, we also knew the Salcos because our horses kind of followed each other when we did stage work and stuff like that. So they know, knew of my um, Traveler 7 and knew he was about the only horse that could take over for them. And so they asked me to please talk to the school and 
the rest is history. We're now going into our 18th year and we love what we do and love bringing Traveler out to everybody. Um, we're on Traveler 10 now. Oh, wow. Traveler 7 passed away two years ago at um, 27 years old. And he was Traveler for 16 years and kept doing the Coliseum almost all the way to the end, which is kind of unheard of for horses. Um, so he was going to retire and then Traveler 8 who was going to take over, got ill and unfortunately passed away. So Traveler 7 stayed going till we had another horse, Traveler 9, um, trained. And so now we have 9 and 10 um, that intersperse each other, which is very nice um, to be able to do that. So we can do personal appearances or games. And whichever horse we feel is better for whatever we're doing is what we use. Who's uh, the the rider for Traveler now? Has that been changing much lately? Um, there have been eight riders since 1961, so that tells you how constant it's been. And up until 2000, beginning of 2019, it was always a male. Um, when I started in 2003, Chuck rode for me for two more years. And then Hector Aguilar, who helped me exercise my horses, took over as Tommy Trojan until the end of 2018 when he retired. And our first female rider, Dana Canstall, took over and um, she helps me train my horses and stuff now. And both of the interesting thing is both of her parents went to USC. She didn't because she took horse husbandry at different college um but both of her parents um were in the music department and her father actually went to school under art so it's very interesting history yeah that's it's, it's really interesting history and it's it's uh i've been doing a, an art cast with uh dr bartner and um we're kind of doing a it's, it's like a 12 episode series we record one every week and he talks about some of his favorite uh, traditions um and you know one of them is you know playing conquest and having traveler uh come out or lighten the torch there's a lot of cool traditions uh in the game how closely do you end up having to work with with the trojan marching band or how does how does that uh interaction work um we work quite a bit with the trojan marching band and um just a little tidbit is art loves traveling <laughs> He is his favorite um, for some reason. We're not sure, but um, he he's taken a real um, liking to him. So whenever he would, we would bring him to band practice, um, Art would stop what he was doing and come over and say hi to the horse. So it's a, it's a great honor for, you know, him to appreciate us like he does. And we definitely appreciate him and all he does for us and the school. Whenever we do, uh, most personal appearances have at least a 10 to a 20 piece band that we all coordinate together. Um, and any big events, um, when the whole band is there, then we usually coordinate and we'll do a little rehearsal um, just to make sure everybody's comfortable. Like um, when we did the um, Traveler was inducted into the Athletic Hall of Fame. so. We took him 
um, into the Galen and right down through the middle of all the tables to the front of the stage for his induction. So we've had a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, typical, typical years before the games at, and the Coliseum, you go to gate eight and uh, people come over and take pictures. And um, it's whenever I walk by there, it's always just, you know, there's a bunch of kids. There's a bunch of people just really enjoying themselves uh, with Traveler before the games. Yes, that's, that's one of the things I love doing. I have done special events with horses for almost 30 years, many fundraisers and and things for um, cancer and children and all sorts of stuff. So that's something that I have perpetuated since taking over. It's whenever we can put a traveler where there are going to be Trojans, um, we are happy to try to make that happen. Even with what's going on right now, if somebody wants to have a small um, COVID-friendly game viewing, whether it's just a family or 10 people together, and they want to have Traveler come do a little meet and greet um, before the game, we're happy to talk about that and try to make him available to um, our Trojan fans even though he won't be at the game. Yeah. Yeah. What I, I talking to Dr. Bartner uh, this week, the Trojan marching band is actually doing a halftime show on their YouTube channel. We might, we got to probably have to figure out a way, Joanne, to get uh, traveler to be a part of that thing. Um, yeah, that would be great. Um, let's try to talk to art and see what I can do for one of them, what we could video and send to, um, either you or him to add into it. Um, I know we have some videos, some GoPro of him doing the opening run with the band and a um, couple of touchdown runs that I think I sent you a snippet of it. Yeah, um, they're I cool. Could, I could send you the whole thing or let me know who I could check with Cynthia, I guess, and see if they want it to put in with their halftime. You have to make a few phone calls for you because that, that would be a great thing. I mean, you, we've heard of people doing like virtual tailgates where they're going to have like a Zoom tailgate or something at their house with different friends. Uh, it's I thought it was really interesting. The band was going to do uh, a live halftime show. Um, so, yeah, I'll make a few calls, but it'd be it'd be great to get uh, Traveler involved somehow. It's just it's one of those things, Joanne, that the traditions have been going on for so long. I'm not sure what it's going to be like seeing a USC game without things like Traveler and without the the marching band. And the fans is one thing. I mean, that's crazy too. But just knowing what – these things have become become such a huge part of USC football. Not having Traveler there, just it's, it's almost unthinkable. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, if we can figure out – a, a certain way to do a zoom run of him. Um, and I might be able to figure out where we can do that. Um, and then it could be added in. That would be great. Yeah. I'll make a few calls, Jared. We'll see what's going on, but we're just like, like we're spitballing here on the podcast, but um, we had a, f- a couple of questions from people on the message boards. Would you mind answering a couple of uh, traveler questions? Not at all. Um, Happy to. Yeah. So, and uh, 
this is from Crown City. I, I think I've talked about that. I actually mentioned this a little bit, but he says, how does the team uh, plan in keeping Traveler game ready for 2021 with no Coliseum access this season? Two years seems like an eternity to maintain habits for running the field in front of a crowd. Um, well, as I said, we work on that all the time. And um, we ha- I have ways of making crowd sounds um, but the crowds they're both really used to now. Um, these are both horses that not only are traveler, but they show at horse shows and competitions. Um, they occasionally are on sound stages and things like that. So they're, they're used to commotion um, and sounds everywhere. Um, just like when we took them to the um, Holiday Bowl and Traveler 10. Um, stood in the tunnel while they shot up eight minutes of fireworks and he was more interested in watching the colors and the fireworks than he was the sound <laughs> so it's, you know things like that and anytime I can come across anything that I think um, would help desensitize them to anything they may come across um, I use it as a training tool so yeah that makes sense like yeah, um, things like the other day there was a flooded path when I was riding um and you know, big mud hole. So we just decided we just went through it. You know, it's something they have to get used to. So yeah. Nice. Um AUM ninety one says, How do you pick traveler? What traits do you look for? Uh, that is a great question. Um, because I am very particular about the horses I used for Traveler. Um, Traveler 7 I had from the time he was four years old, and he was my baby for, you know, the whole time I had him. He was my soulmate. Um, Traveler 9 and 10, I what I look for in 8 is a certain temperament, which Andalusians are a horse from Spain, and they're very regal and royal and very willing to please. So, that's a good trait just to start with. Um, but then there's something in their eye that I'll look for and their temperament um, that I then, you know, work with that um, once I find the horse that I think will work. But it took me three years to find Traveler 9 after Traveler 8 passed away because I couldn't find just the right horse. So, so is this? Yeah. Is there like a market, like people, like you're out there, like visiting horses or, you know, it's almost like an interview process? It, it is. It is. There's quite a few breeders um, that, you know, I know I've been in the equestrian um, world since, um, well, for a very long time, we'll put it that okay. way. Okay, yeah. And, um, and, you know, my, I've been lucky that my business has included horses since 1995, um, or actually 1992. So, um, cause I was in the medical field and I was able to build, um, uh, my horses into a whole nother business. Um, so it's really, I have a lot of experience with horses. I know the people to call. I know people that I trust to, um, take with me that may know things that I don't know. Um, so I don't just say, oh, that horse is pretty. That's going to be the next traveler. Um, 
And one of the things that we're hoping to eventually do, it hasn't worked out yet, unfortunately, in 2003, four, when uh, Nadine Tilly and Bill Tilly made the donation um, for travelers to be endowed um, for years and years to come so that there would always be a traveler. They own Nadine Breeds and Illusion Horses and was friends of mine way before I took over the traveler program. So our hope is one of these days that one of her horses will become oh. traveler. Um, but one of the things is that they have to have a white mane and tail. And so far, the breeding, unfortunately, over the last 10, 15 years, hasn't gotten us that horse yet. But she's still working on it. And we're excited about possibly being able to do that. So are there, they're like white horses, but they might have like a darker tail or a different colored mane? Um, yeah, they, they, um, a lot of the gray horses now have other colors bred into them genetically. So yeah, their mane may take longer to turn white. And by the time they turn white at 15, 16 years old, that's too old to make them a traveler. Okay. So. Makes sense. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the big traits we have to look for. Um, Troy area CA 408. That's a long username. Uh, they, want, they want to know funniest traveler moment or any moment that you liked. Oh gosh, there's a lot. Um, but the funniest one, I kind of tell people the story is um, when we took over, we were warned about the Stanford tree um, and that he liked to try to spook the horses and antagonize the horses. So um, in my training, I actually have built a tree uh, out of felt, and um, I trained my horses with horse cookies all over the tree. And so the first time we played Stanford after I took over, and the, um, the mascot, you know, the tree came walking up the tunnel and headed towards the horse, and we just let let go of the rain and let the horse, you know, go up to him and they've never bothered us again. <laughs> so you put horse cookies on the tree. <laughs> on a felt tree that I made. Yeah. And so the horses think that the tree is, you know, something to eat. So they're very happy to go up to the Stanford tree. <laughs> that's brilliant. I love that. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's one of the fun ones that, um, that I've done. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, it's. I mean, it brings so much joy to the fans. You see the little kids, uh, you know, seeing traveler running by and high fives and everything. Um, ah, yeah, just it's just a bummer that's not going to happen this year. Um, we have one more question from Chris Trevito. He's one of our writers. So he oh, came okay. up. He came up with an idea. Uh, do you know they have like the turnover sword when they were doing? You know, people were having turnover props on the sidelines for football games. I think Miami started with their turnover chain. So he wanted a turnover traveler. He wanted a small white pony that maybe the, you know, the, like the defensive back that makes the interception, a little pony turnover traveler that, that the player could ride on the sidelines. Is that, is that even possible? Could it, could, is how, Chris's dream possible? How big does it have to be? 
I may have something that would work. Ah, well, I will tell Chris. Uh, well, enough, a big yeah, enough. Have him, have him contact me separately, and um, we'll try to figure something out for him. He's gonna be very excited. He's gonna, like he really loves the idea. So. Um, oh yeah, I I love that's <laughs> why a lot of people are afraid to call and see about having traveler um, at you know their house for something, and I tell people just. Call me. I will be very honest to tell you whether it works or it doesn't work. Um, many, many years, um, a good friend of SC's wife was having a um, 80th birthday party for him. And um, we were friends with them and she wanted the horse but was afraid to ask me. So we were invited and I said, well, what happened to inviting travelers? She says, well, there's nowhere to put them. I said, you let me decide that. Came over. And there was this little area on the side of the house that was just perfect. So the horse surprised him and all the guests for his birthday. Wow. That that has to be a special birthday. Yeah. And we've done that for weddings um, where the bride has been surprised by Traveler and then was more interested in the horse than taking her um, bridal photos. (laughs) (laughs) Things like that. You know, big um, birthday parties for people and you know all sorts of you know interesting um things you know don't people tend to think he can only go in the coliseum but that's not true he can go anywhere well joanne we appreciate the time if if any of our listeners out there do want to get a hold of you or find you guys on social media where can uh they find you contact you and if they wanted uh for a birthday party uh what they could do to get a hold of you for traveler um they can find me on social media. Uh, Twitter is at USC Mascot, I believe. And our Facebook is USC Mascot Traveler. Um, or they can look me up at line at, online at asman and and com and call me from there. All right. Uh, Joanne Asman, thank you so much for uh, coming on and hope you have a, a wonderful rest of the day and enjoy. I guess, I mean, as much as you can enjoy the game without being there, it's going to definitely be different. But I hope you can enjoy the game yes, anyway. Yeah, it'll be very different. And same to you. And Will, believe me, Traveler's not going to understand why he doesn't get to go see his friends this season. Yeah, he's going to be like, hey, Mommy, why, why can't I go see friends? <laughs> yeah, yeah like, exactly. Uh, all right. Well, thanks so much, Joanne. And thanks, everyone else there for listening to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. And we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 